0: Well, if you would, open up your Bibles to Luke chapter 15. We're looking at a couple more of Jesus' parables. We're going to look at the lost sheep and the lost coin. It's on page 874 in your pew Bible, or it's in your bulletin. You can just follow along as we read it there. I think these two parables this morning will challenge us. Jesus wants his followers to know that his kingdom exists so that those who are far from God may be brought near. That was and is Jesus's life work to seek and to save the lost in this world. So I think the questions we should be asking before we read Jesus's words are, do I have the same attitude of love that Jesus has for messed up sinful people? Do I long to seek and find them like Jesus went to seek and find them? You know, I think when I try to answer those questions myself, I realize I've got a long ways to go. How about you? Luke chapter 15, verses 1 through 10. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so, I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine righteous persons who need no repentance. Or what woman, having ten silver coins, if she loses one of them, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it. And when she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I had lost. Just so I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. This is the Word of God. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the Word of our God will stand forever. If you want to know God, if you want to know His will, or if you want to know His way that we must know his word. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this word to us. Jesus, we thank you that you are the great teacher. And where your spirit is present, we become great students. We see the love that is in you and we marvel at it. And may we be a people who are transformed by it to be more like you in this special area of seeking after those who are lost. We pray. Amen. One of my good high school friends, Paul, became a Christian four or five years ago, and it's been a joy watching him grow. One of the things I've enjoyed seeing in him is his passion for sharing the gospel with others. A few months back, uh, we talked on the phone, and he told me about this one guy that he was hoping would come to faith in Christ. See, this guy had a huge circle of friends. He was that guy that everybody wanted to hang out with. This guy was the life of the party, and boy, he liked a party. Paul longed for this guy to come to faith in Christ, and one of the things that excited Paul about this guy was that if he came to faith in Christ, then he could reach all of his friends and, and share with them this gospel that we have. They would hear a wonderful testimony from him. Well, didn't work out that way. Oh no, he came to faith in Christ, but soon after, he severed himself from all of his friends. My friend Paul asked him, and basically the guy in so many words says, well, they're all just messed up sinners. How quickly we can become like these Pharisees and scribes in our passage, quick to distance ourselves from those whom God loves. God loves sinners. He doesn't love sin. He hates sin. But he loves sinners trapped in the bondage of their sin. That is the lesson that Jesus wants us to ponder in this parable. God loves sinners and He seeks them out. And so too must we. The problem is we too can live like Paul's friends. We come to faith in Christ and we see our sinfulness, our need for a Savior. And then God begins this good work in us to make us more like Jesus. But the problem begins when we forget just how much God, grace God has given us. And we begin to distance ourselves from others who are in need of grace. Instead of looking with love at those who are lost in their sin, can we not look in disdain instead? Luke tells us that that was what the religious leaders were grumbling about. Look at verse 2. And the Pharisees and the scribes, those are the religious leaders, grumbled, saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. Who is Jesus receiving and eating with? And know this, when you share a meal with someone, that's a sign of intimacy and acceptance. He was eating with the, the worst imaginable outcast of society in his day. Look at verse one. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him. Tax collectors were the most hated in the society in Jesus' day. Why is that? Two reasons. One, tax collectors were Jews who partnered with the occupying Roman Empire. They were traitors. And second, the Jewish tax collectors preyed upon their fellow Jews. They cheated their own country people. And it wasn't just tax collectors they grumbled about. There was these other people that were simply lumped together with the words, and sinners. (laughs) These could be the morally reprehensible in society, adulterers, prostitutes, run-of-the-mill degenerates. So Jesus responds to their indignation by telling them some parables. Parables which tell us this. God is a seeking God who rejoices when the lost are found. And we therefore must be a seeking people who also rejoice when the lost are found. We're going to look at that in three areas this morning under the headings of attitude, action, and effect. First, the attitude. We need to understand this, that God has an attitude of love for the lost. You know, if you're under the age 40, chances are you don't know who Jeffrey Dahmer is or was. But in the early 1990s, Dahmer tortured and killed at least 17 people and ate them. At the time, there was no greater sinner in the world. The collective attitude in America was, let him burn in hell. But God had something else in mind. God drew close to the world's most notorious sinner. While in prison, a woman named Mary Mott sent him some Bible lessons. He completed them eagerly, and he returned them each and every week. He said he wished to become a Christian. Then a minister named Roy Ratcliffe began meeting with Dahmer to study the Bible together. Within a short time, Dahmer came to faith in Christ and Ratcliffe baptized him on May tenth, 1994. A little while later, in 1994, as prison guards turned their back on Dahmer, two inmates beat and bludgeoned him to death. The pastor who met with Dahmer each week before he died believes that his conversion was genuine, that Jeffrey Dahmer, of all people, is in heaven. Now, only God knows for sure. But let me ask you, what is your response to that? Isn't there part of us that wants to say, no way, he doesn't deserve heaven. Well, in a way, you're right. None of us deserve heaven. (laughs) But for some reason, we want to withhold God's grace from such notorious sinners. But then when it comes to us, well, of course, God's right to forgive me. I'm not that bad, right? But the truth we see in Scriptures is that we're all wayward sheep until the Good Shepherd comes and finds us. As Isaiah spoke, he said, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him, that's Jesus, the iniquity of us all. My friends, God's attitude towards the lost is that he loves them. To the grumbling hearts of the religious leaders, Jesus gets personal in verse 4. He begins, he's asking them, and he tells them a parable. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he's lost one of them, does not leave the 99 in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? In other words, which of you, if you had a lost sheep, wouldn't go and retrieve it? Now, the shepherd had 100 sheep. And some people might be tempted to think, well, that's just one out of 100. I've only lost 1%. I think that's kind of manageable. But no, this shepherd won't even entertain the thought of one sheep going missing. So he goes and he looks. How long does he look? Until he finds it. (laughs) That's what the text says. He won't stop looking until he finds it and returns it home. Now. Sheep are dumb animals. Trust me, they are. They so easily stray from the flock. How true of human beings too. God made us in His image so that we would flourish in a loving relationship with Him as our shepherd. And yet this world is full of sheep without a shepherd. And so that's why God sent His Son into the world. Later in Luke's Gospel, in chapter 19, verse 10, Jesus gives His mission statement. It's the statement that He says, this is why I came. Here's what He says. His life's mission is this. For the Son of Man, that's what He called Himself, for the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. And why would Jesus come to seek and to save the lost? Because He loves His lost sheep. In the parable of the lost coin, that also reveals God's attitude of love for the lost. In verse 8, he says, Or what woman, having ten silver coins, if she loses one, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently till she finds it? In the first parable, it's a it's sheep straight away, right? Um, it can maybe come find its way back, possibly. But here a coin is lost. And, and there's no way that this coin could ever find its way back by itself. If sheep represents how humans stray, the coin describes how hopeless our state is. Unless the woman notices that the coin is missing and looks until she finds it, the coin will be lost forever. The coin was a denarius. It was a day's wage. Its market value was far less than a sheep. But in this woman's eyes, the coin was of significant worth. This tells us That God prizes that which we tend to write off. But here's what we need to press deep inside of us, my friends. God God loves us before we are made lovable. Paul wrote to the church in Rome, but God shows his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Some people think Christianity is a Self-renovation process that you follow these rules and these commands and and finally you're going to clean yourself up and then God will stamp you approved and say, welcome, come on in. No, that's not what the gospel's about. Christianity is not about that. Christianity is about God loving you as you are, forgiving you as you are, where you are, with the sins that you have. And then, out of his grace, begins a project of renewal. You know, we all agree that, that there was nothing lovable in Jeffrey Dahmer. But are we also able to admit that there was really nothing lovable in us too before Christ entered our lives? Oh, we might have avoided killing people and eating them. But we were no closer to God than Dahmer was until God sought us out and came near and offered us His mercy and His grace. The only way you and I could ever be saved is that if, for some crazy reason, God in love draws near to us in mercy and grace and makes us alive in him. This is God's sovereign work in your life. None of us are good, which makes the love of God so astounding. God loves sinners, even the worst of sinners, Yes, he even loves tax collectors and meth addicts and MS-13 gangbangers and tax cheats and yes, even serial killers who eat their victims. You and I might not naturally like this or love this, but it is it is God's character to love this way. He cannot help but love this way. God's love overflows even to the worst of sinners. Now, the question is, do you believe that? Is this our attitude towards others? Or are we quick to get fed up with the brokenness of broken people that are in our midst? Those people on the trading desk or in the real estate office or in the classroom that annoy the heck out of you and you feel superior. How do these words challenge you this morning? That's the attitude of God that that Jesus points to. Not for the action of God. God does not just love from a distance and hope that people repent and come find Him. God goes on the offensive. God is a seeking God who pursues the lost. And so too must we. The other day I was uh, on the back porch reading some commentaries trying to get some some uh, vitamin D in my body. And uh, my chocolate lab Gus was hanging out with me. And I was just thinking, no joke. I was just thinking how how good he's been lately, and, and that he that he hasn't like wandered off like he used to. And then he disappeared. <laughs> One minute he was there, and then all of a sudden, I don't know why are dogs good at this? They just they're gone. You don't even know where they are. But I've got this whistle though, and Gus is really obedient. I go, and and he'll, wherever he is, he'll hear it, and he will run, and then he will come, and he'll stand or sit at looking up at me and I tell good dog good dog all right go free um so I sat there in my chair, whistled called his name multiple times didn't come waited a few more minutes. Come on Gus. Whistled, whistled, still no Gus. You know, I didn't want to get up. I didn't want to be moved to action. I didn't want to go look for my dog. I didn't want to put my flip flops on and look like a fool walking up and down the streets calling out for a dog. Something about, like, looking for an animal. You always seem kind of weird doing it, don't you, as you're walking around? Especially if your dog has, like, a weird name, right? All right. Um, so I walk all the way up the street, calling out, whistling, I going to his known hideouts. Not there. I go all the way up the other way. This is taking time. And I'm whistling, calling out his name, still nothing. But then all of a sudden, I hear this whimpering, like, way off in the distance, like, Far away, quarter mile away, back in the woods. So I go back around and I, I'm in my flip flops going, all these ticks, I'm like thinking ticks are everywhere and I'm walking through the woods and I'm finding, fighting, fighting to find out where, where it could be. And then I, I come around, there's this house with a pool and I work my way around some trees and I look and I see there's Gus. Somehow he had gotten through the fence, went into the pool, He's a Labrador, climbs out of the pool. But then somehow he got behind the gate up against the the back door and he was stuck there. Couldn't get out. I think he thought, this looks like Master's house. I mean, there's a sliding door and a gate, but it's the wrong house, Gus. There's no way he was ever going to come back to me no matter how much I sat on my butt and whistled and called his name. My lost dog was only coming back if I went to seek him out. My friends, we need to get this into our heads that God pursues sinners. When everyone runs from God and hides from God and wants nothing to do with God, God doesn't sit back and roll his eyes at our stupidity. He comes and he gets us. Now, the Pharisees and the scribes were not against sinners coming to God after they repented. They had plenty of room in their theology for God welcoming wayward sinners who repented. They knew God would accept them if they came to Him. But what they could not comprehend was that God would actually go on the offensive to find sinners to bring them to Him. Hence their attitude. Don't get close to them, Jesus. If you say you're from God, if you say you value God's law, then you will be like us. You will separate yourself from those sinners until they repent and then come asking for forgiveness. But the Pharisees of all people, they should have known that it was God's character. It's in his character to seek the loss. Earlier Grayson read from uh, ezekiel thirty four where god 's people had abandoned him, and god says i 'm going to be your shepherd myself alone i 'll be the one who brings you back and causes you to flourish. They also should have known why, why, because what did God do after Adam and Eve sinned? God went looking for them. Where are you adam uh, i 'm hiding over here because I realize i 'm naked now <laughs> Adam, who told you you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I forbid you to eat of? What was God doing? He was pursuing the lost, Adam and Eve. He was giving them a chance to fess up and to repent. But how did Adam respond? He said, "Um, it ain't my fault. It's that woman that you gave me. She made me do all this. But God did not end there. What did He do? He killed an animal. The very first sacrifice, which points us to Christ, the greater sacrifice. He took the skin from this animal. And what did He do? He covered their shame, their nakedness, and their guilt. The greatest sin ever committed was that first sin that plunged this world into brokenness. But what did God do? In love for Adam and Eve? He went to get them. They never would have sought out God, but God in mercy and grace sought them out and restored them. The religious leaders in Jesus' day should have known that God's attitude towards sinners was that He lovingly seeks them out. So Jesus shows them the action of the shepherd. Verse 4, if He's lost one of them, does He not leave the 99 in the open country and go after the one that's lost till He finds it? Jesus is saying the shepherd will not stop until he finds his sheep. My friends, that's a comfort for us today, is it not? If we stray from the fold, we know that God, the good shepherd, will go seeking after us until he brings us back. Some of you need to hear that this morning. The action of the shepherd is to continue looking until the sheep is found. Now, the woman with the lost coin also shows us the action of God as well. Does does she not light up a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it? She will not stop until the coin is found. She sweeps the house. She She searches diligently. Now... Do you ever look for something haphazardly? I have a tendency to do that. My wife accuses me of this all the time. Like I'll be in the kitchen in the fridge looking for like some spicy mustard or something. And I'll have that door open for like, it seems like an eternity, and I just cannot find the spicy mustard. So I say, hey, honey, um, we must be out of spicy mustard. There's none in the fridge. And then Leslie walks into the kitchen, opens up the fridge, and in 2.5 seconds, she lays her hand on the mustard jar and lovingly says, is this what you're looking for? <laughs> I'm not joking. Last night, seriously, grated Parmesan cheese. She even knew that I was looking for something. I didn't even have to say anything. She's like, is this what you're looking for? But there are things I will search for diligently. If my TV remote control is lost, look out. Pillows flying, cushions going all over the family room. I'll get low on the floor. I'll even let dog hairs get in my mouth as I reach under the couch to try to find that thing. And I want you to know I've got a perfect track record of finding lost remotes. Every one of them has come back to me. Jesus says the woman who lost her coin searches diligently. She uses all of the resources at her disposal. She lights a lamp. She sweeps through the house until she finds it. Now, this parable is meant to cause us to think if a woman will search diligently for a lost coin, how much more will God diligently search for his lost people? But what we must know is that to search diligently like this, it's it's hard work. Jesus wants His audience to know that along with an attitude that loves sinners, God's actions demonstrates that He's willing to do the hard work of seeking and finding. You know, When God gives you this desire to live for others, a desire to draw near to messy lives and to show them God's love, it's hard work. It could take 10, 20, 30 years of prayer and faithful care for this person before he or she hears the gospel and believes it, right? It's hard work because like Adam and Eve, people by their nature run from God. People don't want to be found by God. Add to that, People will likely laugh at you or ridicule you or persecute you for it. But remember what Jesus said, blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven. So let me ask you, who are the people that God's placed in your life that you're tempted to write off as too far from God or too much work? May the words of Jesus here cause you to sh- share God's attitude of love for the lost. And may we commit to the hard action of seeking them. And this leads to our last point that we're going to look at. There is a payoff for those who persevere. What is it? Well, Jesus describes the effect of finding something that you've lost. And what, is, what happens to you when you find something that you've lost? There's joy. There's joy. The desire to celebrate. My daughter Ella lost her iPhone uh, this past week at the North Sea Carnival. She and all her friends looked everywhere for it. Everywhere. Kind of like this woman with the coin. You should have seen the anxious look on her face. It said it all. I must find this phone. Or my dad will kill me. Um, (laughs) All of her friends turned on their lamps, which of course is her phone, right? And they swept the carnival grounds and then it was found. You should have seen the relief and the joy on her face. You know, isn't it true? Sometimes there's more joy when we found something that we've lost than the joy that we had when we first received it, right? All who were gathered around Ella. Celebrated with her, including me. (laughs) That is the effect of finding lost things. Joy and celebration. Jesus describes this feeling of the lost sheep in verse 5 and 6. And when he has found it, he lays it, that's the sheep, on his shoulders rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Our God is a celebratory God. The shepherd picks up the sheep and places it on his shoulders. He says, I found you. I found you. What were you doing over there? Didn't you know how much danger you were in? Well, it's all right now. Bear with me. You've all experienced that, right? The joy uh, and the celebration of finding a passport or a wallet. How much more so the joy of God when He seeks and finds a wayward soul? Jesus describes in both parables that the person who, um, um, who the persons that that were looking for their items, they they throw a party, they call all their friends and their neighbors, and they say, "Rejoice with me! I found my sheep. I found what was lost. I found the coin. Celebrate with me." Finding something that is lost, that is of value, is cause for rejoicing. That is, that is the joy that Jesus is talking about here. But then Jesus turns our attention from the joy that we have on earth when we find lost things to the joy of God in heaven when lost people are found. Jesus brings his audience back to the the root cause for why he even told these parables in the first place. The, the Pharisees and the scribes, the religious leaders, they grumbled at Jesus' love for the lost and his willingness to spend time with them. Now, but Jesus wants us to contrast their grumbling with God's joy. Verse 7, Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents and over 99 righteous persons who need no repenting. Now, who are these 99 who need no repentance? Well, is Jesus saying that there are certain people that are just really good? They don't need Jesus Christ. They don't need to repent. No, that's not what he's saying. The 99 refer to those who think they're righteous and have no need of repentance, like these scribes and the Pharisees. They they believe that they were actually good People, even though they look down on others, which is of course a sin, okay. um, they did not have—they didn't have eyes to see that they themselves were far from God. Jesus is saying, "There's more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine who walk this earth who don't think they need to repent." In verse ten, Jesus says, "Just so I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God." over one sinner who repents. Now, let me ask you, do you think God like throws a party in heaven when you find your misplaced keys? Do angels high-five um, when your TV remote is found? It's not likely. But there is rejoicing and joy and celebration in heaven when? When people who have strayed from God turn back to God and now come back into His fold. You know, this morning, I hope we see that God, he loves the loss. He loves the loss. It's not a partial love. It's not a, I will love you if you only get yourself better. No, he loves the loss. He actively seeks them out. Every day on this earth, I don't know if these statistics are real or not, but I would have to guess, tens of thousands of people are chased after by God. The great good shepherd Jesus seeks people out and they hear the message they repent and Jesus puts them on his shoulders and brings them into the fold tens of thousands every day if i had to guess and when they Jesus brings them back to the father what do you think the father does you think he's, he goes well it's about time you know gosh all right can we get a few more no god throws a party in heaven In a few minutes, we're going to celebrate together. Where will we do that? Right here at this very table. Now, I know our attitude often as we come for the Lord's Supper is kind of a somber, you know, reflective, pensive attitude, and then that's okay. But this table is also a table of rejoicing. Why? Because this table is a reminder to all of us that God has diligently sought us out while we were not looking for Him. This table's a reminder that Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. That was His mission. And guess what? He succeeded. So as we gather to this table, may we rejoice too. I want to see some happy faces. But may I challenge you in another test. Take time to evaluate your attitude towards the broken people around you. Do you tend to look upon them from a position of superiority? Or, or maybe they're just irrelevant, right? Stop really caring or thinking. Do you tend to want to separate yourself from the broken, the needy, the wayward in this world? May Jesus' words to us this morning be a reminder. And may He these words bring renewal. May we delight in God's love for the lost and may God's love for us in Christ Jesus cause us to love others for Christ's sake. Let's pray. Father, it's we confess, we often think you're up in heaven and you got a frown. That's not true. There is joy everlasting at your right hand. You are a happy God. You're a happy God who rejoices that that your plan is is at work. People who are far from you are being brought near, not because we finally wise up, but because you chase after us. This is good news. Good news for us this morning. May we not just be left with nice thoughts of you, but may we be transformed in who we are and how we see people, how we live for others and not for ourselves, how we do the hard work of loving difficult people for your sake. And when we fall short, maybe remember that there is grace abounding for us in Christ Jesus. Let's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.